Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, halo, everyone, and welcome back, Iraq, to the one and only Sacred Icon Podcast, where we talk all things Halo and so much more. But if you're tuning into this episode, everyone say it with me, you're tuning in to Adba, where we talk about things outside of the Halo universe. Ragnarok is coming. The end of days. A great battle that is prophesized to bring about the destruction of the Nine Realms. Early reviews are calling it next to godliness. Godliness. That's incorrect. Yeah, it's a godliness. Close. Close. It's not infest nest, it's godliness. Oh, nice Star Wars reference. I like that. I like this. Stating that it is an almighty achievement, creating a new high that makes many of its peers look positively mortal by comparison. Thankfully, though, there's still time. Time to dive back into the Codex and relive the events of God of War. Following the death of Kratos' second wife, Atreus' mother. Is it Atreus? Or is it? Yeah. Atreus. Oh, I got it right. Atreus. I got it right. Guys, tra- I did a little prep work for this. You got it okay? a little wrong. It's actually pretty. <laughs> I got a little wrong. Got a little right. Stick with me and it'll be real tight. Father and son journey to fulfill her request that her ashes be spread at the highest peak of the Nine Realms. Kratos keeps his troubled past a secret from Atreus, who is unaware of his divine nature. Along their journey, they come into conflict with monsters and gods of the Norse world. Developed by Santa Monica Studios and released for the PS4 on April 20th, 2018, the game was met with universal acclaim, an overall Metacritic score of 94 out of 100, and as of this month of recording, has sold over 23 million units. In the eyes of the gods both old and new, this is considered a masterpiece, a benchmark title in the history of video games. I'm Joshua Hargis, fresh off just having beaten this game in anticipation for the coming Raggy Rock. Join with me as always 
is my buddy, my pal, my friend, and the guy who dug it in 2018 and still digs it just as much on his recent replay, Brian Arvett. Brian, the end of days are coming. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel pretty sad that last week you didn't say oddball at any point during the episode. I just realized that. I realized that for like the last like two or three recordings. Yeah. I was like, That's okay. rectify. It's in the description. Remember that? You remember Tron Legacy, right? Rectify. Hmm. Wait, have you, I tried, seen, have you seen Tron Legacy? I tried to watch it. I couldn't make it through it. Ah! <laughs> um, ah! But God of War, you know, that's a game that we're going to talk about today. It is a game. Uh, you know what I think? You know what I think's interesting? I feel like if you go back through all the podcast episodes, I probably say this a lot. Maybe I say it too much, but I'm going to say it again because I feel it's true. Whenever I feel like I'm, I'm like a good person to offer uh, an unbiased opinion towards, I'll say, you know, this might sound biased, but you know, I, I think I'm actually a good, good person to judge this because I'm not biased on it. And I actually think you probably are as well, Josh, because uh, God of War 2018 is to seem to many as one of the best video games of all time. Uh, a lot of people would have it in their top 10, top five, maybe even their favorite game of all time. I know for myself, for sure, despite how much I love it and how much I agree with its quality, it's not even in my top 20, top 25. I mean, it's it's not that high. Like It is an exceptional game I love, but it's not in my top tiers. I don't think it's in yours either, Josh, is it, for games of all time? No, no. Okay, so that, that makes me feel like makes me feel like we can offer uh, a little less bias of a of a uh, and I don't know interpretation of the game and, and uh, or how we feel about it because yeah. it's not like Josh and I played it and it was like this is quite possibly the best video game I have ever played. It was more like wow that was just good as everyone said love it gonna play it again someday. Like that it was, was the, you know. pretty much my takeaway from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. So, but Brian, uh, I'm sure there's people out there that are curious. Top fifty, top hundred. Does it does it crest into those, or is it somewhere after? Oh, it's it's top. It's in that top fifty, I think for sure. Top fifty, um, cool. But uh, top and it's, fifty, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I'm actually you know, about we, top fifty. Josh and I like to keep a list of our favorite games on the GG app, which we've mentioned in the past before, uh, where you can rank your games and stuff. And I'm getting to the point where I have so many games that I deeply, deeply love that like. If I say like, oh, God of War is one of my favorite games of all time, it might be like the 48th one, you know, and it's like that sounds bad, but it's like, well, look at all the bangers I have above it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're different games like I might be able like my my uh, opinion might be a little more biased. Like if I told you how I feel about Dark Souls or how I feel about Halo 2, going to have a lot of bias there. God of War, I don't feel like I have as much bias and and not despite not having that much bias towards it. I think pretty much everything people say about God of War 2018 is true, about it being one of the best games ever made, about it being a master class uh, piece of media, uh, because the game really doesn't have, in my opinion, I'm sure we'll get into this and we'll have nitpicks and stuff, but it doesn't really have many or, or any flaws. I feel like the game has uh, amazing presentation, graphics, characters, story, gameplay, music, sound, bosses. I don't think the game it, it's well paced. Uh, the writing's good. I, I don't it's think well it, paced. I don't think it lacks in any department. Like I, I don't think I'm. I can think of one single issue with God of War 2018 anywhere that's really worth mentioning. I think we're probably both going to mention nitpicks, but uh, nothing. Uh, the side content's good. Um, Josh, can you can you give me? Maybe you have one. I'd be interested to hear. Do you have a legit criticism that exceed goes beyond a nitpick? I'd like to hear just it. one. Just okay. one, yeah. All right, let's hear it. Yeah. Well, we'll get this out of the way because it's all love I have for this game. Uh, this game for me, I have to say this to preface it. 
even though it's something we probably would discuss more at the end of the episode. But this this is the kind of game, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but you've said before yourself, like, if a game is a 10 out of 10, that doesn't necessarily, for you, if you're giving a game a 10 out of 10, that doesn't mean it's perfect in every Still flawed. Way. Yeah. Sure. So I would probably give this game a 10 out of 10. For me personally, probably a 9 out of 10. But overall, like objectively, it's a 10 out of 10. But I think it's near perfection. I don't think it is perfection. My biggest problem with it was almost where I reached a breaking point with the game. I did everything I could in this game, guys, playing through the story. Once it opened up and you're able to sail around on the boat, I started to do a lot of exploring, did some treasure hunting, did a lot of the side quests and whatnot. Also started fighting the Valkyries, and that created an interesting discussion with pretty much everyone I talked to about God of War with, because that seems to be a big point of contention. If you, if, you, if you fight the Valkyries, then you're someone who likely did all the side quests. If you didn't fight the Valkyries, you're someone who didn't even really test the waters with the side quests, and you just went straight through on the main. But I fought a couple of them, and you get to a point where... And I'm forgetting the location off the top of my head, but there's like a lava setting you go to. And it's just trials. It's just combat rounds, right? And it's just a grind fest. Well, I'm doing them. I'm chipping away at them. And as you succeed through some, well, another gate like opens and you can climb this mountain higher. And you're essentially climbing more and more as you complete more trials until you get to the very peak of the mountain. And there's a Valkyrie right there. And I couldn't beat her right away. And I thought, fine, she seems very tough, but I'll come back to this one. And then not long after, I get to this other place where you have to grind out souls. You basically just go in. It Literally, you go down into this area, and it's like there's this kind of almost looks like it's fog. And you're slowly like being like poisoned. So you can only be down there for a limited amount of time. And you have to kill people as fast as you can, collect their souls... And then try to go up into this other area where there's all these chests and there's these sort of, I don't know if you remember, Brian, the, uh, they're like black voids. They're like little, they look like little black, like void circular things and you have to like close them. Well, normally in the game, they're just high level enemies you fight. But in this area, it's literally just, you have to grind out souls, collect an X amount, and then you can sort of destroy it with that once you reach that amount. And I just was like so close to the end of the main story already that I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to, this is going to take me a long time. If they would have put this at the beginning of the game, I could have maybe like continually went back and chipped away here and there. But like, I don't want to completely halt everything now to grind this out. This is going to take a while. And I wanted to do that because the only thing I hadn't done up to that point was kill off all of Odin's ravens. Which, for those of you guys who haven't played it, they're literally just like ethereal ravens that you just shoot and you just gain experience for. But there's nothing else other than a trophy that you get for it. So there was no story reason to really do that, so I didn't. But I got to that point and I thought, this is really bad for pacing. For people who want to do this, and there's obviously people who want to do this, this seems really weird because it's like the whole game doesn't feel like a grind. I felt like all the side quests, all the exploration was fantastic in the different locales and running into the two dwarves and stuff like that was great up until that point. And it's a side quest. It is a, like an actual side quest. It's not just like this is like endgame stuff, although it is. But uh, I just, at that point, I just kind of sat back because for me, guys, uh, that's the difference between Brian and I is Brian, you know, like we said before on the show, Brian likes to just play the main story. That's where the most fun is for him. On some subsequent playthroughs, depending on the game, he will go and do extra stuff. For myself, 
I try to do all I can in one go. And sometimes if I replay a game, I, I usually will just go through this main story. It's literally the the reverse of it. So I was trying to do everything, and I was having a great experience with the game. Continually impressed by it, continually blown away. But then I reached that point, and it like really put me in a kerfuffle because I had I just told myself, like, Ragnarok is coming. I don't want to sit there and grind this out. I'd like to play other games in between. It just doesn't seem fun to me. And I just reached my breaking point. I didn't play the game for like two weeks because I was so indecisive. I was like, do I do I somehow just try to suck it up because I've already invested this much time on external side content? You know, or do I just cut my losses and try to finish the story? And the latter is what I ended up going with. So I ended up doing that. I finished the story. But I just, objectively speaking, I just think in terms of pacing, it was badly placed. But I do understand there are people who enjoy doing that stuff and it's worth it for armor and whatnot. So it was more just the placement of it. And for me personally, I just I, I think it wasn't the game to put grindy quests into because yeah. the rest just didn't feel like it up to that point. So for me, that's where I would give it a nine out of ten. But I've got the rest of this episode to talk about what pushes it up to a nine for me. Yeah, I, this is something I, I will admit I'm biased on because obviously I'm the guy who often skips side content and plays the story. Um, but I think there's a good sub conversation here about side quests because I don't think the intention was ever for everybody to play 100% of the content in every game. Like, I, I don't think that was ever the goal set out by anyone in the industry. I think it was literally there to give people more of something they like if they want to do it. I think that's what it was always intended to be. But I think as the as years have gone on and games have come out, the the culture of gaming and, and the, the behavior of gamers has led to, I have to do everything. And, uh, it's, it's, it's probably caused as much damage as it has caused like awesome moments because especially, I mean, you always, everyone always talks about the Ubisoft games. Here's my 3000 flags on the map of random shit. I don't want to do, but Mm -hmm. I can't enjoy myself if I don't do it because just skipping all that just drives me insane. I think that's uh, I think that's more of a a obsessive issue, more of a, a personal problem. And I say that as someone who if you gave me a free copy of God of War Ragnarok, but the artwork was torn on the front, I'd sell it and buy a new one and lose $30 because I'm obsessed that I want it to look right. You know, like I am an obsessive person. I can admit my mental issues and flaws, but I think it's the same time, same thing for people who uh, play a game and they, they can't play it without doing everything. I think that's a mental block. Like if you want to Definitely. do it, that's fine. But like if you are genuinely not enjoying yourself or wanting to quit, but you're forcing yourself. I think that is there's a mental block there happening. Um, but Before yeah, we go down this road, yeah. if I can chime in real quick, because I, I, I do feel like this would be the part where someone who's probably played this way more than I have is probably wanting to, they're screaming. But when you do finish the main story, you do unlock all the locations of the Valkyries, which you don't have previously. There's the new game plus mode. So I do understand for a lot of people that's something worth doing. Like if you're going to have subsequent playthroughs, then you can then it's worth grinding out, going into a new game plus, and having all that. So I do understand if someone was to come back with that. But I will say, you know, it's tough because you're totally right, Brian. But then when I think of things like flags in certain games, it's like it's tough because like some of those things helped me explore more in open games. Just but they're the same. I hate them both sides. It, yeah. Exactly, but it's like I hate them too because it's like some games do it. And it's so quality. Like Witcher, you don't skip side quests. You just don't. Like, don't play the game if you're going to skip them. But in other, pretty much like nine out of the other ten games, it's kind of not worth it. But we do it if we love the game enough, you know? 
So it's definitely yeah. I mean, a back back in like you know, like earlier gaming times. Well, it's not you know, not that early to some people, but like ninety early gaming times. Nineteen oh eight. Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's people listening to this podcast that weren't alive in the nineties. So I, I that's why it right. makes it seem early. But like, take uh, Ocarina of Time or Final Fantasy VII for it, for instance. Like Ocarina of Time. There's there's technically they don't you know they're not it's not like today where it's like here's a drop down menu that says here's your list of side quests but there was side quests in those games right like Ocarina of Time you could get Bigron Sword which was this two handed sword that you had to go do uh, these get all these items and fetch stuff to to get it optional there was um if you want to get certain heart pieces it would be like get on horseback and kill these certain pose like mm. there was side content you could do but it wasn't it was at a time where people didn't feel like they had to do them so much obviously people did do. 100% the game back then, but like mm-hmm. it was just like, here's the story and here's some extra stuff you can do if you want, and it's easy to not do it. Same with Final Fantasy VII. Do you VII. feel like yeah. achievements is really what kind of made the shift happen? Achievements definitely contributed to it. Achievements and then also like game design started to incorporate side quests as like almost like a mandatory thing. You get, you get, we're at the point now where Halo's got technically got side quests, right? Like in a sense, uh, everything gets side content. Um, but in Final Fantasy VII, you know, some of those bosses, the hardest bosses in the game, you don't even have to ever look at them. And you can get the full Final Fantasy story experience. There's there's different summons like the Knights of the Round or whatever uh, that you you have to work really hard. Chocobo uh, side content in mini games, stuff back then that people felt more okay with skipping. Obviously, like I said, people did complete them. But nowadays, with the achievements and the trophy lists and every game having it, and 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 more games than than used to locking very very important stuff behind it. I mean, you technically don't get the ending cutscene of Arkham Knight unless you do all the Riddler trophies, which is just that's insane. ridiculous to me. That's that's a lot right that's there. That's the end of the Arkham series, and and you cannot get the final cutscene unless you do all of that stuff. Which I know someone who's listening might be like, "Well, you can go on YouTube and watch it." I don't want to. I should have that in my game Experience itself game, that I right? paid yeah. X amount of money for. Yeah, like what I might have so might have been better is like, oh, here's a here's a cool cutscene with with Robin getting his new suit if you do all the trophies it's like okay well that's not yeah. necessary well but, this is know. i i like that we're talking about this because it actually brings me back to god of war because i like one of brian and i's biggest points of contention in our friendship is just scales of games money that goes into them just how games are developed all that type of stuff but one of brian's uh opinions is that games need to be the scope needs to be dialed down on a lot of them and i will say a lot of times i absolutely agree with some of that and that's what was fun with God of War is the whole time I was playing it as it was opened up and you're riding around in the boat, Mimir's talking and stuff. I was having so much fun because it didn't feel too open that it felt like sensory overload, but it also felt like everything I went to explore was highly detailed, yeah. very different, very unique locales with great bits of lore there. And Mimir talks often as you're traveling and tells you about interesting tales. So I was really happy with that up to the point of that uh, specific quest in particular where you're grinding and uh, that just made me want to scuttle all the Valkyries and everything else I was in the middle of so everything up to that point though is just fantastic and I felt like it was a game that it's like open a little bit but it doesn't open the floodgates too much to where it feels like I don't need all of this yeah. you know what I mean like I by the end of the playthrough having done the stuff I did do it, it was probably a good 30-40 hours for me and I always take longer than anybody else if uh, you go to on howlongtobeat.com and if a game says it's going to be 20 hours, I know it's going to be 40 or 50. There's like a sub column I'm that a says slaw. Joshua Hargis length. Exactly. Yeah, it's on there. Go look, guys. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I felt like this game just had real good pacing, and it didn't. What was out there for the most part really didn't. This, this feel is like my ideal too size much game, right? There was real, yeah. There was really no bloat in that outside of that quest. Kind of reminds me of like Fable back in the day. Obviously, this game is a lot oh, bigger than Fable. Great example, Brian. Dude, that's a perfect example. 
Like, like it feels the world feels not quite completely linear, but like there's obviously moments in Fable where you're running through a forest and all it is is lined up trees to take you down a path. <laughs> it's it's a corridor, yeah, it's yeah, a it's corridor. a corridor. But like, there's moments where a there's plenty one. you can do in Fable that you don't have to do, just like in God of War. But yeah, to to take what you said and bring it back to God of War even more, you know how you uh, you were saying that I think that scope should be lowered and and the, and sometimes the you know, the money and and investment in these games is way more than they need to be. Well, that's an even better uh, example now with Ragnarok coming out because they clearly used the same engine, a lot of the same locations, assets, animations to make Ragnarok. It's a PS4 game at its heart. They didn't take God of War 2018 and then go back to the beginning and, and restart with a whole new engine, a whole new thing. This is clearly another part. It's another. It's a continuation. And I, I love that Ragnarok is using uh, God of War 2018 as its base. We're not starting over. You know, that's it's just like we I mentioned, I think, in the last podcast or whatever, a couple ago, I was like, felt like every Halo, they just restarted. You know, none of the the only two Halos that feel the same is three and three ODST because ODST is a glorified expansion. Right. But like mm-hmm. um, I, I like when games, you know, uh, continue to use what they've already had, like imagine how many great experiences we could get if people didn't have to go back to the drawing board every time. Like I can envision a world where we have five Halo Infinite games, you know, where it's all Halo, different parts of Zeta Halo, different parts of maybe you're on saying Helios in one, but it's using the same asset or not, not necessarily the same. There's going to be new assets, but same engine, same, same models, things mm-hmm. like that. You know, we're using the same exact same pilot from, cause you know, like there's, it wouldn't be hard to imagine there's a Halo Infinite too. And the pilot looks slightly different because they use a new engine, new graphics. His face doesn't look the same. Think about like uh, Dead Space 1, Dead Space 2, or there's lots of games out there. Or Geralt from Geralt from uh, Witcher 1 to Witcher 2 to Witcher 3. His face looks different, right? Because they just keep changing the engine. They change yeah. the stuff like well, that. But anyways, oh, go ahead, John. You raise a good – no, you, well, you raise a good point, though. I mean, it, it's worth discussing because I think, you know, if you d- discount the pandemic happening and, and the two years essentially loss that I think most developers took on their momentum for what they were developing, it's it would have been interesting to see how much sooner the game could have potentially came out had it not been so affected by that stuff because – I've seen you talk online about it on Twitter and stuff like that, and I've agreed, like, silently, I mean, I've, I've agreed with you. Like, I don't care. I, I don't know why there's criticisms that it reuses some certain things because I don't need every game, every sequel, to have to literally, like, for them to have to go back to the drawing board and completely redo it. Like, I just... For me, sometimes it's nice to go into a game and feel like it almost feels like a, an expansion uh, made into a full-blown sequel. You know, like it's nice to have something that feels like it literally like was made at the same time almost with slightly different upgrades and improvements. So I'm completely fine with no. that. And I will say, before we continue, one thing that I am very excited about with Raggy Rock, I'm going in completely blind into this game for the first time since Mass Effect 2 in 2010. I have never done this since mass effect 2 i have no idea except i saw one gif of like what looks to be uh kratos fighting thor and i figure that was coming but that's an issue i literally have no other concept i have not really watched gameplay if i've seen it i've scrolled past it i have not looked at anything i'm very excited yeah um man josh you made me lose my train of thought on something that's not your fault i'm sorry brian Um, forgive me Oh, I was going to say, to play devil's advocate, and Joe, Joe uh, small print, he'll be happy I brought this up. To play devil's advocate, uh, the the opposite to to the, the the benefit of using the same assets, engine, stuff like that, is what happened to God of War before 2018. That's the reason we're talking about 2018 and, and, and Ragnarok. That's the reason these games are so prominent, because you took a st- series that had gotten so stale 
by doing the literally exact same thing from God of War 1, two PSP titles, God of War 2, God of War 3, God of War Ascension. It was essentially like the same game over and over again with little variation or variations that made it worse. And then God of War 2018 came out and it was like a reinvention of the series while maintaining the continuity. And it, and it was phenomenal. It was just and it, for a lot of people, it's like this is clearly the best God of War game. And it's like the freaking seventh one. Um, but before I go into that, because I actually want to go down that route a little bit. Let me say my last thing about side quests. Um, that's that's where I don't fault the side quest stuff and, and, and God of War as much as Josh, because for me, it's like it's optional. So can I really hold it against it? But at the same time, maybe Josh, someone who's played side content more than me, can say, well, I've seen other games do side content in a way that's integrated better than God of War. So that's a that's a fair criticism. Um, but yeah, to, to kind of go into the, the main like ass, uh, assessment of this game, I remember watching the uh, Sony E3 or whatever that God of War 2018 was announced. I can't remember if it was like 2015 or 16. I don't know, but I remember them announcing what Santa Monica was working on next. And for me, I had dipped my toes in God of War, but never really became a fan. And for me, Santa Monica was just a studio that didn't know how to make anything other than God of War. So when I was like, okay, Ascension didn't, everyone knows God of War Ascension didn't do well. What are they working on next? And they show off, it's a new God of War. And I'm like, are you guys shitting me? Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, and, and I think if you watch the Raising Kratos documentary, it will only reinforce that my thoughts were everyone's thoughts, which is, why are you guys making another God of War? Did, did you not see what happened? You made you made like freaking 29 of these, and then you make Ascension, and it it, it fails. It just fails by every metric. Oh, well, not every metric. That's a little extreme. I mean, it wasn't a bad game, but it, it pretty much failed. Like, And then you watch the Raising Kratos documentary, and they're pretty much like, yeah, Ascension, Ascension put us in a really bad position to where uh, if we don't fix this shit real quick, we're not going to be a studio anymore. So for me t- to see them go, their, their their logic is we've been working on God of War for 15, 20 years. And the last one, people got tired of it and it's stale. Let's make another one. To me, that's like the worst. What are you thinking? You know, but on paper, that seems like a on paper. It's like the worst decision ever. But there, it's, but it was actually genius and sent benchmarks in the industry because they managed they to take genius. They managed to take a, a property that had grown so stale and so familiar and continue its continuity. It, it, it's technically a soft reboot, but it's not a reboot at all. Everything that happened in those games is continuing forward. They changed the perspective of the camera. They changed the uh, the uh, imp- kind of the level of depth to the story as far as characters go and the interaction between him and his son and other characters. Uh, the combat's mixed up, but they also retained a lot of the elements that made the series so wonderful. Uh, the extreme combat, violence, bosses, they removed those QTEs that everyone was getting so sick of over the last generation. And um, anyways, I ended up eating crow on this one. Actually, no, I'm going to give myself credit. I won't say eating crow on this because eating crow would, would imply that I said that this game's not going to be good. I never said that. Uh, but I did think, you know, I'm not really interested because, you know, we've had a million God of Wars. Why are you doing another one? Uh, of course, as the game ramped up with, you know, more gameplay, more commercials, it started to seem like, this is going to be a really good game. I remember the first time I thought, you know, I think I actually want to buy God of War 2018 at release was the first trailer when they showed off the, uh, the world serpent. Cause I was like the sense of scale and grandness of that serpent com- mm-hmm. compared to uh, Kratos and his son. I was just like, yeah, this looks really cool. I want to buy it day one. Um, but uh, 
but I did, I did wonder, you know, is this in the beginning? I'm like, why are they doing this? And it's funny to, for a comparison, one time I did eat crow was, um, Guerrilla Games, similar situation. They make the Killzone series. And for me, and I know there's probably some Killzone fans listening. For me, I'm just like, I've never given a damn about the Killzone series. Every time I tried one of those games, I'm just like, it's so dull compared to other shooters. Not even just Halo. Like Call of Duty, I found more interesting than Killzone. I just didn't care for it. And it kind of went down the same path, right? Like Killzone, it kind of it kind of started to peter out a little bit with like, you know, Shadowfall for sure was like, come on, you know, it's nobody needed this. Uh, and then they announced their next game is a, a game featuring a, a a woman set in the past, but all the animals are robots. And I'm like, this this sounds this sounds asinine. Like this sounds absolutely stupid. This game is going to fail harder than Killzone. Game came out, was a critical darling. Everyone loved it. I enjoyed it, and I was just like, I've never ate crow so hard in my life. Like I I, I would have bet money, Horizon Zero Dawn sucked. It didn't. But uh, that's a, that's a different thing, right? Because at least Horizon was a new idea. God of War was like the same idea. Uh, so I ate crow on one. I didn't eat crow on the other. But yeah, God of War 2018. Uh, it ended up looking like it was going to be really something special. Game came out, got it day one. Me and Creighton both got it day one, actually. He was playing in his room. I was playing out in the living room at my house. And we just played through it nonstop until we both beat it. Uh, it lived up to the hype. It was a great game. It was, it was amazing. Uh, they they It gave hope to other developers that they could do the same thing with their property. And I, I have to imagine, I don't have any facts to back this up, but I have to imagine Halo Infinite looked at God of War just a, at least a little bit, right? Because, go ahead, Josh, you want to say something? Yeah, I just didn't want to interrupt you. But yeah, I, I will say after playing this, I see all the more how much inspiration Infinite took from it. I mean, you literally have not just the camera, you know, yeah. that approach that they took to it, the single shot, but then you literally have, it's, it's I mean, they're both soft reboots. Like you said, they're not a, a real reboot because they're continuing the story, but they have such a gap in time and it's in a different setting so it's far away enough from the narratives that came yeah. before that it doesn't have to contradict it, doesn't really have to acknowledge it too much, but just only a little bit. But it can tell its own story. And I thought, man, that's just, it's just so crazy how similar those two are in that way. I mean, it's, it just, it was. Iteration is how we get the best things in media, yeah. right? Like, and the only reason God of War is what it is is because of Last of Us. Last of Us clearly inspired the entire portfolio of Sony. For how games go moving forward, Horizon, Spider Man, God of War, Last of Us Two, all are inspired by Last of Us One, and Last of Us One to an extent was even inspired by Uncharted. Like you know, these things are iterative over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. One thing I do want to mention too is yeah, if you guys haven't watched that Raising Kratos documentary, you absolutely it's golden. It's up there with the Halo Two out. documentary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I remember I saw that before I'd even played the game. I saw that a couple years ago, and then I told Brian, I was like, you got to watch it. Brian goes and watches it, and he's like, holy, holy shit, dude. This is go really good. Watch it again. And yeah, I think I probably will today, or at least before the uh, before Raggy Rock. But what I was going to say is what was cool about that, as someone who was out of the loop, uh, when there's a part in the documentary where the tens start rolling in, and Corey Barlog, I like to call him Balrog, but uh, Barlog starts seeing the reviews pour Brian. in, and... He starts crying tears of joy. Uh, tears of joy. Right, Brian? Tears of joy. <laughs> that's from Haunted Mansion, right? Yeah, it's right? the guy who plays, I've got to watch that also the guy who plays the, the prophet in Halo 3. Terrence yeah, Howard. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you watch the whole lead up and how stressed they were going into premiering it at E3 because of the reasons Brian said and stuff like that. So had a lot riding on that, and it's just great to see that like they took a big gamble on this game 
but they were confident enough, even though they were still worried, but they were confident enough, like, we, we got something here, and then it turns out the way it does. So, it's, I mean, it, go ahead. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead and finish. No, it's okay. I feel like we're going to do that a lot. It's good. At least we're trying to be polite. <laughs> good friends. Um, are you want me to go ahead? <laughs> I was going to let you have it. Um, it got awkward there for a moment. No, it just, the thing is, is like, it seems like the studio really has a good grasp on what they need to do now, too, because the the next thing that's really uh, made me proud of the studio is they decided that after the success of 2018, God of War Ragnarok would be the follow up and the conclusion. They're not doing a trilogy. This is it. This is the full conclusion of the story they set up in 2018. And I honestly think that's that's genius because. I mean, it's going to be hard for whatever project they have next, whether it's God of War or something else. I, I'm, I'm assuming it is actually going to be God of War again. Um, but for them to try to stretch this into a trilogy, they might have ran into some of the same problems they had in the past. So I think this was really smart. And it's, especially you look at all the reviews for Ragnarok, which have all been astounding. You do see little hints of people being like, oh, it's kind of what we've seen in God of War 28. Ah, oh, the combat kind of reminds me of this. Oh, this moment that was so special in 2018 isn't here. Or, oh, the pacing drags a little bit in the middle stuff like that. So you can see that like the third game could have really suffered from this. The third game could have been like a, a 75, 80 on Metacritic compared to like 94, which of course Metacritic doesn't really matter, but it's like, I think they're, they're, they're putting all their eggs in the basket and they're not taking some out and saving them for later, which is a, a no, absolutely. They're going all in on the sequel. And I think a duology concept is great. You know, I don't, I, I don't like trilogy concepts anymore. So d- d- the idea of, of a game having a duology is quite nice. And correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they say, this was the last in the Norse, like mythology setting. Um, I think. I mean, that might I mean, be. They may have said that, but like, I they, I guess the TLDR is they don't seem to be concretely implying that there will be a God of War in a different setting. Okay. Some people well, are like, I know oh, this game, but I got I got shit about this, so I'm going to preface this because I got shit about this on Twitter. But I mean, we're going to be talking spoilers about this game because it came out four years ago. Yeah. But yeah, right. at the end of the game, when you're about to spread the ashes. And you're walking, and you starting. Uh, Atreus touches the wall, and it starts to reveal that his mother had a great like friendship with the giants, and she knew everything that they were going to go through on their journey. Yeah. So you saw that you know it's revealed that she she foresaw all of this happening. That's part of the reason she wanted to set them on it. But as it gets to the end, there's a part that his son doesn't see, but Kratos sees what looks to be uh, Atreus holding his dad like dead Mm -hmm. and i'm assuming that's probably going to happen in this i have no idea but i'm assuming in raggy rock like it's going to end with him dying and i thought if i'm right let's just say i'm right just for shits and giggles i figured if they do another god of war it would be a spinoff not necessarily with atreus but you're going to have a different story that's probably not going to be with kratos you got something to say brian i I don't yeah i I think it's something to think about doesn't it well yeah it does give you something to think about um i think that's a a good trade like that's a train of thought that makes sense but I feel like we've gotten to the point where, and this is why Nintendo is so far ahead of the game on this stuff. Kratos is, he's like the main Sony mascot. You can't, you can't retire him. You just, you cannot do it. Like you, it's like Master Chief and Halo. A lot of people say like, oh, I wish Master Chief was, I've said it before. I wish Master Chief was just floating around in Halo 3 still and we just got new games and stuff. I I don't think Master Chief is ever going to go away. Maybe one day it'll be a Master Chief prequel. Maybe one day they'll reboot the entire series and it'll be Master Chief again with a different voice (laughs) actor. Silver Timeline. But Master Chief is always going to be there. Kratos always has to be there. And this is why I said Nintendo is so far ahead of the game, right? Because they built characters that will never get old. Link, Mario, S- Samus, you know, get characters like that, 
they can be reiterated on and just basically rebooted infinitely till the end of time. Whereas Master Chief and Kratos are very beholden to their their lore and their history. Uh, but I don't feel like Kratos is going anywhere. And I definitely think Sony's not dumb enough to be like, you know what the world really needs after two of the best video games ever made by critic standards uh, to get rid of the main character for good and just go Atreus. There might be okay. an Atreus spinoff game. You might not be wrong. It might be something like the Uncharted. Uh, what's that Uncharted spinoff game with the girls? Lost uh, Legacy. Lost Legacy. They might do something like that with Atreus for sure. I'm not discounting that. But we will absolutely see more Kratos-focused games in the future because they, they can't, right? They can't get rid of it. I think you might be right, but I also could see for the same reasons you described that you'd be wrong because I feel like if anyone was to take that kind of gamble, I think it would be Sony because I think Sony's much more confident in their IPs and their developers to say, look, like we can still be successful without these characters at the forefront. Like we don't, I don't, I don't think like PlayStation, the way I, I view PlayStation is that they have mascots, but they don't feel like they need, they don't rely on those. Like yeah. Nintendo, absolutely. That's that, like, that's their brand is relying Microsoft, on their like we got one mascots. guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and they, yeah, that, and then, then they're like, it, it was Marcus. Now it's Kate. And then you have but just no a regular, you, you always have a car and then it's no like, Oh, buying Kate is an iconic so character. I don't, I don't think PlayStation <laughs> as much as like they try to advertise for that. Cause I mean, that's just commonplace. You throw a bunch of characters in there and people are go crazy, but I don't, I don't think PlayStation needs that. I, I don't, I think they feel that way. So I, I think for those reasons, I could see them very much being willing to take that chance and have this character killed off because it's going to stick a chord, strike a chord with people way more. They're going to remember that moment. You know, they, I don't think anybody expected Joel to die in Last of Us 2, but look what happened. And then that became, the whole story became centered around that. So Dude, that was a big twist. So far, had, yeah. I mean, had they not had that leak come out, I think that would have, the, the conversation about Last of Us 2 would have been completely different now had that leak not happened. But everyone went into the game knowing that was going to happen. So The next yeah, God of I mean, War, they enter the Last of Us universe and the main character is Abby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I will say, I mean, they did a good job with her character. Like, I know she gets pooped. Oh, I got nothing her, against like, Last of Us. I know people yeah. hate her, though. No, I know. I know. Yeah. But, yeah. But, no, I, but you might be right, though, too, because in your defense to play devil's advocate, I mean, when he's looking on the wall at the end of the game, it's not like it's showing, like, all this Ragnarok stuff that, that looks yeah. like it might happen. I could it see literally him just dying jumps from him dying. In Ragnarok. So, yeah. I could absolutely mm-hmm. see him dying. I just don't – I don't know in what means, but I, I don't think we'll ever see uh, a well, generation of gaming without me, Kratos. I've been wanting to talk to somebody about this, and this is about God of War 2018. What did you think about when it gets revealed that uh, Atreus's name is Loki? Like when you're playing uh, that the first time. My initial reaction, my initial reaction was actually not good, but it is now. Oh, ooh, uh, because Hit me up with that. Well, because and this this is my fault. This isn't anyone else's fault, but my my uh, the cultural significance of the character Loki in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I I never think of him as like a an old Norse like legend i think of him as two things one tom tom hiddleston from Mar- marvel which you know as m- i actually do love marvel i'm not a marvel hater but like i don't want marvel sinking into all my other properties you know leave marvel where it is you know I've, i i get enough marvel from marvel so but that's not that's not a problem with with santa monica or god of war that's me for thinking of a marvel character instead of the the the, the old legend of, of old of norse mm-hmm. so there's that and then i also think of do you ever <laughs> Do you ever think of uh, this is such a stupid movie? This, you ever seen you've seen Son of Mask, right? I've mentioned it before, I think. <laughs> I've seen scenes. The, the, I'll put the, it that the, way. The guy who plays Loki in Son of Mask, it's the guy who played Nightcrawler in um, X Men Two. It's yeah, it's guy. Alan Cumming. Yeah, that guy. I, I think Cumming, I, so. Right. I thought of him, and I thought of uh, the Marvel Loki, and then I also thought 
Well, Kratos from from Greek mythology is never the father of Loki either. So it just sent my mind running in three directions that weren't particularly interesting or or desirable. Um, so I kind of like, <laughs> you're at this heavy part at the end of the game, and your brain's like, "Hey, remember Son of the Mask?" Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> so it wasn't the game's fault. Uh, but as as years went on, and that it sank into my mind that Atreus is is Loki, and then I replayed mm-hmm. it, and it reveals it at the end. I'm like, "Oh, this is dope!" Like we know that he's going to be a uh, that's not the word I'm looking. The word I'm looking for is not tyrannical. I'm a god of mischief. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's going to be like a god of mischief. And his, his parents are Kratos and his, his mother from the Giants. It's cool. Like, I like it. It's actually really good. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think now I, I like that reveal. Um, but, yeah, let's, I guess we can, we've can. we talked a lot about, like, the, the outside elements of, like, the development and the, the side quests and why side quests are made and stuff like that. Let's go into some of the our favorite moments from the game. I'll start off Absolutely. by saying um, I got so many, but, I mean, I think the first one that comes to my mind always, and I know they use it for trailers, but it – the the, the the world serpent dude like that that to me was the signifying moment this game was going to be extremely special when that world serpent shows up and even though my tv is only a 32 inch 56 inch whatever it makes me feel like i am so small and this thing is bigger than my house and it was just a jaw dropping dropping moment and then I remember when I first played the game and after that moment was over and you're still running around in the center area and you look mm-hmm. in the background and his head's still there floating and blinking and his mouth's yeah. opening and shutting. And I'm like, how did they pull this off? This is amazing. I remember this frame rate tanking out there a bit on the PS4. I'm on the PS5 now, but like it still leaves me breathless uh, when I, when I, when it happens in the game. So that's, that's the big moment for me. 10 out of 10 moment. What's one for you, Josh? Oh no! Keep going. I want to hear a couple more ears. Couple well, more? I'll say okay. this real quick. The world serpent was an amazing moment. Like I, I seen, I've, I had saw pictures of that prior to playing the game. But again, I didn't yeah. know much about God of War twenty eighteen when I went into it either. So that part was pretty amazing. And when he's like, rah, 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 he starts talking, it felt like fucking like I was in the movie The Thing, and like I'm on a fucking table, and like some demonic thing just bursted out of my stomach. It sounded like my stomach growling when I'm hungry, but like reverberated. It felt like my brain was going to explode. I love how they made him sound, dude. Yep. That shit was tight as hell. Awesome. And when Mimir's like, oh yeah, he said this, he said that. I'm, and I'm thinking like, you know, and even Kratos is looking at him like, you got that from him? Yeah, really? You can- yeah. So, but go ahead, continue. It's a great um, moment, though. I agree. Another thing I love is it's also something that other games have decided to mimic, including Halo Infinite. Uh, is the way the game opens with the the main menu just goes into the tree that has been showing the main menu to Kratos hacking with the axe, and you control yeah, it. Yeah, and that. it's very clear. I love. Ah, oh man. I just. I wish. I wish the world. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, Josh. Ahead, I wish the ahead. world was as receptive <laughs> to Halo Infinite as both they are to God of War and I am to Infinite. Because I would say, and I think most people listening could probably agree, uh, it's about it's about 50-50 on whether people think Halo Infinite did a great job at reinvigorating the series and rebooting it. It's probably about 50-50. You got half the people that think, oh, yeah, Halo still sucks, or I wish they'd followed up on the Halo 5 story, blah, 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 blah. And you got half the people who go, yeah, Halo's back. This is what I wanted. I love this. You know, people like, coming to my mind, like Corey Blaster from the community, Someone who feels like, yeah, Halo's back in the way I want it to be. Um, so where, whereas God of War, it's pretty universal, right? Like if you get 100 people and ask them if God of War 2018 did a good job at, at continuing the series, 96 people are going to say yes. Probably you get four people who go, nah, it sucked. I wanted more Greek mythology, you know, whatever. Um, but with Halo Infinite, 
it really did do that for me. It pulled off the same thing God of War rag or God of War 2018 did. Uh, not as well, if I'm being objective, but it still pulled it off. Like I got the same vibes I did. I'm like, wow, my my Master Chief, you know, my Kratos, like my God of War, my Halo, it's back in a big way and it's reinvigorated and there's new life into it. Um, so Halo clearly tried to, uh, it got some inspiration from God of War and I love how Halo Infinite did that where Halo Infinite, it has the whole opening. It doesn't go right into like the tree with Kratos and the axe, but it has the opening with the pilot and his, and his child and, and, and then Master Chief coming on board. But it does transition us, if you remember, right into he's flying through the rubble. He's he's being careful with the Marines' bodies. And then it goes right into him landing on the banished ship. And then you're in gameplay immediately, one shot. Also, it's, they kind of do it a little differently. So they do the one-shot thing, but then they try to kind of mimic, this is how I took it anyways, that moment with Kratos and the axe on the tree. And in Halo Infinite, it's when you get the weapon and it's like, here, you press the button to take her chip and insert it into the back of your head in Halo Infinite. And I thought that was really neat. It's like kind of the same thing. So I love that God moment, War, but it's a bit corny. A bit corny what's that? I said I love that moment, but it's a bit corny for me because it's like we don't want – we know you guys are going to get upset if you guys don't – we don't give you guys the consent to put her in your brain. So we're going to make this little button. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't find But it I love it. I love it. You yeah. know, no hating. But, I, I so I feel corny. like, you know, God of War, Santa Monica nailed it with – the presentation of this game and obviously it's sure inspired did. other people sure i love that halo infinite was inspired by this game because I, I adore halo infinite i love that game and i i to me a lot of that's owed to them probably looking at this inspiration but anyways yeah so one of the other moments for sure was that easy transition right into that cutting down the tree bringing the tree back and then i think i knew it when i played it in 2018 but i had actually forgotten i didn't realize this till replay right now you know i play i was probably like four or five hours in the game and i was like wait a minute the tree you cut down is what lowered the barrier around Kratos's hut. And that was intentional by the mother to send them on this journey. I'm like, that's just so right. genius. Don't you love yeah. when a game or a movie or a book or show, whatever, they manage to make different elements of the story tie together in a way that is so satisfying. It, it feels like it was meant to be. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there, there's stories well, it, where it's, it's like purposeful. It's purposeful, yeah. Like, and, and you can take your complete opposite worst, right? Where you the, the the opposite of that, where it's like, you know, Palpatine returning in Episode Nine. It's like this wasn't a purposeful, well done setup thing. This was like a well, we can jerry rig these three pieces together to make this kind of happen, right? Like, and that's not even me hating because I still love those movies for what they I are. I love you, Star Wars. But uh, but yeah, it's like when this happens, it just feels so organic and right. So that's that's another moment for me. So we got that. We have, um, yeah, the the World Serpent. I would say it's funny that this one's another one for me because this is one where on paper it seems clear that this is obviously a moment they're trying to make big for players, but it still paid off for me. The dragon fight, dude. When I first played the game, I had no idea you fought a dragon in the game. And when, when I was at that section in the game, I didn't expect there was going to be a dragon anytime soon because I'm going up like, if you remember, you're going up like a wooden shaft and you have to fight like its head for a little bit before you go into a full battle against it. And I'm like, okay, this game just keeps getting more badass. I'm fighting a literal dragon. That was another moment that was way up there. Um, and then I'd say, obviously, there's more. But to give you a last moment, a fourth moment, and I'll pass over to Josh, is I'm pretty sure I thought in my head at one point before I got to this point in the game, man, I would sure love to go inside the world serpent. I would sure love to go inside. <laughs> and then it gets towards the end, and he opens his mouth, and he's like, we're going to have to go inside him. And I'm like, so get in. Santa Monica, you <laughs> devils. You gave me exactly what I wanted. Holy shit, this is cool. So I love that, too. Because I love going, like, you know, at Ocarina of Time, you go inside a Jabu Jabu's belly, like a giant whale. Um, there's a lot of different games. Kingdom Hearts, you go inside of a, a whale. Uh, yeah, for, for Pinocchio. Pinocchio yep. 
Yeah, like there's just I love when you. It sounds kind of sounds weird when I say it like that. But I love when you go inside giant creatures. I think it's. <laughs> I bet I bet you do like. That. I bet you do, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. No, I I get what you're saying. Just this, you see something that big that has that sense of scale, and you're like, man, holy cow! Like, what could be inside if this creature's like potentially eating stuff, swallowing stuff? You know. Yeah. So. And usually each time in a video game, there's always something like a village inside. You know, there's always something in there to explore. But uh, see, this was great, guys, about us is Brian and how Brian and I play games differently because you get the best of both worlds. Because one of my favorite memories isn't specifically like one. It's actually a lot. Uh, traveling on the boat often while I was playing through the game, going to explore various lands. There's a lot of times where Atreus is is talking to Mimir and Mimir will go and recount tales of yore. And there's a lot of stories about how Thor... Or Odin went and just butchered or mutilated a lot of like giants and stuff like that. And I really found uh, many of those stories quite fascinating as I was traveling. And it was, it really helped, you know, it, it was really like a, it was like a fantasy equivalent to playing Grand Theft Auto and having the radio on in the car and listening to the radio station. So it really helped minimize the, lack of interest or boredom with traveling because you can fast travel in the game but when they put stuff in there like that dialogue that's why I want to go do side quests that's why I don't want to fast travel and just beeline through those side quests because it feels worth exploring because like I like the main quest because I get this core adventure this very intimate story between what is essentially like four characters in a way being Kratos Atreus uh, their mother and Balder but then, I mean, and more, I guess, but you get the point. But then, you know, when I play the side content, I feel like the world around me is being given life, and it helps me appreciate just the whole experience more. Mm-hmm. So when he was recounting tales, I just happened to like that. Uh, very theater of the mind heavy. Um, as a tabletop player, I thought that was just, uh, Mimir's a great dungeon master. I mean, the guy knows how to tell a, tell a tale. And just when you get him and having him throughout the whole game with you, I thought there was going to maybe be a point where, like, you just have to say goodbye, like he's only with you for a little bit. No, he needed to be And there. I was, yeah. I, exactly, I was so happy to be wrong about that, that he was with you to the end of the game. And even at the end, as you reach the stairs to go up and spread the ashes, he's like, why don't you put me down here, Kratos? Like, this is your guys's. Uh, moment to have yeah. together so but that was one of them um, another I got two more off the top of my head but one of them is honestly going around and solving a lot of the various puzzles you get to a lot of places for you guys who haven't played that um, you'd run into what looked to be a lot of like almost like giant bells and you would have to hit them they might have a letter on them and you'd have to hit them and sort of mm-hmm. time them up because not too far off from them would be a chest that would have those uh, the Nordic symbols, and you'd have to try, sort of like line them up, t- either time them up or try to get them in a specific order or do them fast enough to sort of deactivate this uh, lock, you know, on this chest, and then you could activate, you, you could open it. Um, other times it was just f- like encountering uh, real tense foes, you know, giant trolls and stuff like that. There's a couple other dragons you can go and free on this quest line. And I just happened to really like going through the different environments. It felt like everything was well thought out, not randomly generated. It felt like a lot of effort was put into these places. And I just, uh, you know, at the same time I'm doing that, there's moments where Kratos and Atreus are are talking and stuff like that and, and commenting on the things that are going on around you. And again, it, you know, a lot of games have that problem where when you are doing stuff like that, your characters are silent. I think of games like... Uh, honestly, a lot of older Bioware games, I mean, the, the stuff has shifted, to be fair, but 
a lot of older Bioware games, sometimes your characters were just quiet and maybe they'd have a brief conversation. But once they kind of exhausted that dialogue, which was very finite, it was very limited, um, then it was just a ghost town, it felt like. But I'm noticing a trend more and more. I felt like, I mean, this was in 2018, but if, if for you guys who have played Guardians of the Galaxy that came out last year, that game, I really hope, starts a new trend with your characters constantly talk. Like, I never had a moment where the dialogue just ran out. Like, you might go 10 seconds, they're back to talking again, they're back to commenting again. That's it felt like there was, un- it's, there was unlimited amount of dialogue. And on a side note, I really hope that people like Bioware, Obsidian, a lot of developers that make RPG games, take inspiration from that because that gave these those characters so much life and it made the game worth playing. But to scale back, this game had a lot of those moments where Kratos and Atreus were still commenting in these areas that weren't main story focused. And it really made me appreciate that stuff more because it felt like worth investing to. I'm not just trying to collect chests. I'm not just trying to complete a side quest to get just a little bit of dialogue from one of the dwarves. I'm actually getting these two bonding and stuff. And that really came into play with my next favorite moment, which was really more so just an act. But it's more so when Atreus starts to be a bad little boy. And he starts, you know, he needs a whooping. Or you want to bitch slap him. He realizes he's a god. And it starts to go to his head. He's a young kid. He's susceptible. So he's, he's thinking, why not kill these people? Or why not do this? Why not do that? And starts asking, wait, you know, he, he starts firing back. Who cares about their life? They're not gods. Exactly. So it gets to his head. He, it hurts, very dude. It vain. hurts your heart when he tells the dwarf to just shut up because he's annoying. Yeah, yeah, it was really heartbreaking. He just yeah. scuttles off screen and stuff. Seeing that kind of play out from how he goes from being real kind and you start to see him and his dad bond to he becomes an asshole for a while and Kratos is like kind of letting him feel it out like letting him explore it, but then checks him a couple times until eventually it comes to a head and seeing that go from that all the way to the end of the game I really loved like even even like someone like Brian I mean like Brian said in the discord but like a lot of you know us as his friends give him shit about just beelining through a game but like one of the benefits in a game like this is Brian gets such a complete experience with these characters. I mean, the arcs are so well done within these yeah. acts of the game. I mean, even with I'm forgetting her name right now off the top of my head. Oh my god, Freya? what's the Yeah, 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 yeah. Just I mean, even her arc as it came down to uh, stuff with Balder near the end was fantastic. But uh over back to you if you have any more thoughts. Okay, I got three major points that I we don't have to end right at an hour, but since we try to aim for that, I got three major points that I need to get out of the way before that. Yeah, you don't need to rush. Take your time. Um one thing I want to say, I don't know if you're aware of this criticism, Josh. Maybe this isn't what you were talking about, but there's actually a growing criticism in the industry right now. People not liking characters talking to themselves while exploring environments and side quests. So I thought it was interesting you say that. I'm not saying that I agree with that, but uh, I know Horizon's a big one. Uh, the Horizon games, people said they, they are so sick of it. And then I've actually heard in Ragnarok reviews, people complain that uh, the characters talk while you're doing frivolous things. And it's and people finding it really annoying and wishing you could turn it off and, and menus. Well... I think there's a pretty clear distinction there because in something like Horizon, she's talking to herself a lot, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Whereas in Guardians, you have the whole crew with you and they're talking okay. amongst themselves. That's, fair. That's different. So I can under, I mean, I have, I've barely played the first Horizon, so I haven't. I can't really attest to that myself or throw my hat into that. But um, I can see how that'd be annoying to some people. I mean, I would like it because it helps keep from just the quietness. But yeah. I understand that's not for everyone. But something when you're having a party, more specifically, when it's more than one person getting to have them banter back and forth, that feels more real, that feels more lived in, and I don't care if someone if someone out there does say, well, yeah, I, I hate that, I'm sick of that. 
don't play video games then. Because if you, want to play a game that, if you want to play a video game that has a narrative, why the hell wouldn't you want that? Because if Brian and I are out walking in the woods, are Brian and I just going to be pretty quiet and then eventually go, well, this is pretty fucking awkward, bud? You know, like, we're going to talk about stuff while we're exploring. Like, we don't talk at all for an hour us. through the forest, and when we get to the end of the forest, yeah, like, I just turn to you and I go, we're so, here. <laughs> that should be encouraged. So I yeah. think that was well done in this. Okay, yeah, that's different. That's a good point. And the second thing I want to say is, now what I'm about to say is extremely biased. It is not objective in any way. But when I watched the Game Awards that year, I it was the most emotional I've ever, invest, emotionally invested I've ever been in a Game Awards. And it's funny mm, because interesting. God of War, like I said, God of War is not in like my top 10 or anything. But the two contenders that everyone knew was going to come down to was God of War or Red Dead Redemption 2. And once again, keep in mind, guys, I said, I'm not being objective, extremely biased. I was like, please, God, don't let Red Dead Redemption 2 win because <laughs> God, of War, God of War has so much heart and soul. And I know there's so many passionate people that worked on Red Dead Redemption 2, and I know it's a great game. But I was just like, I, I personally, what I value in games is not really present in any of Rockstar's work. I don't like the their gameplay, their animations. I don't, I mean, the most fun, I've had a ton of fun in, in uh, Grand Theft Auto you know, hijacking cars and driving around and, and and shooting places and stuff like that. But like, that's just not what I value in games. To me, they're just I just don't like Rockstar's Rockstar. Wow, <laughs> Rockstar. Jeez, I don't like oh Rockstar's style of games. I don't like you, how they you, make. Do they games. develop a Grand Theft Willy uh, Willy Mobile? Is that is that their series? Well, no, it's a place you go in the uh, the Rockstar. Um, Lord of the Rings game. It's it's the Rock Steyer, not the not the Shire. Um, I don't I don't like Very the way Red, that uh, the Rockstar develops their games. I don't like their gameplay. I don't I don't like how I just don't like it. Okay, and I beat Red Dead Redemption. I thought it, I think Red Dead Redemption one still had probably the best ending in a game I've ever seen in my life. I enjoyed it when I played it. I don't know what it is, but I just don't like. I don't know. I just don't care. It's for okay, it. man. So, it's okay. Better and I just felt you, like God of War was just reeked of passion. It just reeked of of so much heart and soul. And I was just like. You know, Red Dead Redemption is going to win this because it had 29 bazillion employees working for 49 years to make this the most meticulous game ever, where every time you kill a deer, you watch it be skinned, and then you can see the reflections of the flesh inside as the pores drip down from the fur. And I'm just like, I don't give a shit about that. I want God of War to win, but there's no chance. And when they announced the winner, God of War beat Red Dead Redemption 2, and I was thrilled. I was just like, this is justice right here. God of War mm. deserves this. And I know You're it's bullshit this. to say it's justice because why doesn't Red Dead Redemption 2 deserve it, Brian? Red Dead Redemption 2 is a great game with great characters and great uh, story. And and it was done by thousands of passionate people. I know. So I'm not being objective right now. I just I just don't care. I just I wanted God of War to win it. And I just I don't care for Rockstar. So I was just well, so I happy. I'm in no rush to get out of here, so I would like to ask you this. You, you, you're talking about this, you're almost framing it as an underdog story for God of War. Did it very much feel that way? As someone who didn't play this yeah. in 2018, was it like that? Yeah, because you went from the people who made GTA V, one of the biggest games in the world, that's one of the most successful right, games right, in the right world, too. Yeah. to Red Dead 2, where it was like God of War Ascension. If you watch the Raising Kratos oh, documentary, I, they you, almost the studio was almost closed because of Ascension. You know? Mm, yeah, like, no, it, well, we did say in one of the recent episodes, I think, that somewhere, but... Uh, that it, you know, Red Dead Two was on an event like level, like yeah. uh, you know, like a Zelda game or a Skyrim, you know, yeah. or something of that level. So it was definitely, it was definitely up but there. Yeah, but, it, uh, it just and the thing is, like, no, 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 uh, Rockstar game has ever made me have deep emotions or feelings like God of War had. You know, like I, I just don't care for the stories that the stories that Rockstar is telling. Even Red Dead Redemption One, which when I beat it, I thought, wow, what a great game. 
I just don't really care for the stories that they're telling. It's just not for me. Um, so uh, it was a great moment for sure. Yeah. Probably my favorite game awards like moment, maybe. Well, it's interesting too because I mean, you look at God of War came out in I think yeah April of 2018, and then you had later that year you had Red Dead Redemption two. Well, what did we have earlier this year? You had an Elden Ring, yeah. and then now we have God of War Ragnarok coming out. So it's going to be an interesting battle for the game. Now, I haven't played Ragnarok because it seems yet, like it's going to be between those two. I haven't played Ragnarok so. yet, but I'm I'm probably okay with either winning um, mm-hmm. because I obviously love Elden Ring. But then again, I could see myself going for Ragnarok because uh, Elden Elden Ring. I'm not going to go into this whole thing, but it's just Elden Ring was just a, it was a it was a them taking all the things they learned and it was a mass appeal game where the sum of its parts are greater than the parts because you know it's got some of the worst bosses and the and stuff and lots of lots of stuff that's a little ir- irritable. But you know, God of War is going to be a, a, a story. Elden Ring has IBS. You hear to hear you heard it here first. A little bit, so, a little you know, bit, yeah. Little um, bit the last thing I wanted to say, and like I said, we don't have to get out here immediately, but the last thing I want to say is. Where I come in on my personal views of the game, my score for it, uh, and and the only critique I can really think of, um, for me, like I said, it's one of the it is one of the greatest games out there. Uh, it totally deserving of all the praise. Uh, it's you know eventually it's you go down my list far enough, it's there. You know I just have so many games I love, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's not. I, when I beat the game, I didn't I didn't go. You know this is top ten for me. I, I knew it wasn't top ten for me, um, just because there's just there's just so much else that I love, but. Um, the, the biggest criticism I have when I got done playing it, and the interesting thing was, is Creighton had the same exact thought. My brother Creighton, uh, we both agreed immediately. Uh, it, 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 it was so good, and it was so deserving of the praise that it just kind of felt like there wasn't much room left for criticism for people. Like, that it, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, people were just shouting tens, tens, tens. And for me and Creighton, it didn't really feel like a ten. It, it felt it felt very good, but it was like, you know, the, the, the story... Even if you just play the story, it does kind of, to me at least, it kind of goes on a little bit in the middle. Like, it kind of goes on for a while, and you also revisit the same places multiple times, which I don't mind that. You know, I've, I'm a big proponent of reusing areas, but like, you you know, the first time you go to Helheim, you know, and you're like in the end where like the dead go, it's like this amazing moment. Well, then you go back there again later, you know, which is fine. I still loved it. It's not really so much a complaint, but by the end of the game, it felt like, you know, it didn't feel as clearly perfect as people were making it sound. It felt like it, it had a little bit of a drag in the middle there for us. Um, and then also another criticism I had at the time, which you can thank yourself, Joe small print and uh, for, for this uh, Joe's interpretation of how the game concluded combined with myself replaying the game. It, it completely changed my mind on it. When I first played the game, I was underwhelmed by the ending of the game being a fight against Baldur because the game starts with a fight against Baldur. And not only does it start against start with a fight against him, but I would argue that the fight against Baldur is actually more exciting in the beginning when he shows up to your house and you're flying all over the place, crashing through buildings and, and mountains. Um, so to me, to get to the end and be like, oh, the ending is literally the same guy we fought at the beginning and it's it's not changed up that much. Different location, but the battle kind of is similar. So I was a little underwhelmed. I also thought there would be a bigger bad than Balder, but Josh, or not, I was about to say Josh, Joe, um, he, he talked about how like the themes of Balder and his mother kind of form this loop and resonate with Kratos and Atreus, like the mother and the son and the father and the son and what they've gone through and what the expectations of the parents are and the expectations of the children and, and seeing that come full circle 
in unison with, with Kratos and his son and Freya and hers and how that all played out together. It just made for this really wholesome, unique loop for the story and the conclusion. And then having that go from that battle with him right into let's go to the top of the mountain, spread the ashes, find out these new lore details, and then have the credits come as you're walking out of the highest well, mountain. Very well done. It really was done. It was done masterfully. And I have mm -hmm. completely changed my tune on the ending of of God. Because I think when I played it in 2018, I wanted the ending to be this big, spectacular moment. I didn't know what it would be. I didn't know if it would be like me on a cloud fighting Odin in a fist fight, or if it would be like me riding the world serpent against another world serpent. It's something's insane, but they didn't go for that. And I'm glad they didn't because I think this, I think in, in, in the histories, history books would look back on God of War and not look at it as fondly if it ended with the most bombastic thing in the world, bombastic Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Instead, it decided to take the stakes and maintain them, but also bring us down to a grounded place with just two parents and their, and their kids fighting and just that tying the story together. So I thought it was beautiful. Um, my last thoughts on that, as far as my score for the game, um, it's weird. I, I think I'd give it an 8.5 for, and I'm, I'm saying critically, not subjectively. I think, I, I think I, I don't, I don't even think it's, it's weird because I'm only saying glowing things about the game, but, uh, just even for the first time I beat it and the, and the second time I beat it, I think it's in that 8.5 territory for me. Um, I don't know what's keeping it held back for me, really. I, I think it just, it didn't have, it, it's more of a personal thing, I guess, but that, then it makes it sound like I'm not being objective about it because may, maybe an objective score would be a nine and maybe a subjective would be, I know I'm really splitting hairs here, but it's, I don't think it's a 10. I, I don't, I do not think it's a 10 any way you spin it. And that's not because it doesn't deserve it. I just, there's just a, it's just, it's just not there. I don't know. But uh, for me personally, I think, I think there's a, there's something about games that get their hooks in me in a really deep way, like a deep hook. And well, obviously I he's was got him. What's that? He's got him. Yeah. Kratos has got him. Uh, obviously, like the game Joke. had its hooks in me, and the fact that I couldn't put it down, and I loved it, and I've replayed it, and I think it's one of the best games ever made. But like, I just encourage people who are listening to try to think of try to think of like the the top one or two games in your life that really sink their hooks into you in a way you just can't replace, like when you first stepped onto Halo or when I played Majora's Mask and I, I, I encountered this world with these these masks and these weird characters going through their day-to-day -day lives in a three-day cycle or Final Fantasy VII when, you know, you, you find out that Sephiroth was this character and there's this whole flashback. Like, I, I know for many gamers out there, some that are older, but also probably a lot of younger generation who played God of War when they were more inf influenced this probably is that game for them. They're thinking, wow, I remember the first time I saw the world serpent. I remember the first time, um, you know, I fought, or I met Mimir. You know, these moments are going to be cemented to them as that hooks in them moment they'll never forget. But I think as you get older, your, your, your earliest memories of gaming are the ones that you value the most because it was when you were most impressionable. And I think God of War 2018 has all the, credibility to be that impressionable but by the time i played it i was mid-20s i just wasn't as impressionable anymore and it just it feels like a game it feels like a game that's so good that it wants to make that impression on me but i just i'd played too much else and had too many experiences 
for it to do that again for me. So the TLDR mm. is mm. the game's not really lacking in any way. It's just what's gonna keep what's gonna keep that 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 barrier from this game's a 10 masterpiece and it's just one of the best games ever made, nine out of ten for me, is did it make that deep impression on you? Did it make it did it did it resonate in such a deep way that you you can't you can't almost describe it. Uh, and it didn't for me. And I don't think that's any fault of the games. It's just that's what separates the goats from the goats, man. Like the best from the best. You know, Josh would say KOTOR or Halo, something like that. I'd say I'd say Halo or or Zelda. It just couldn't break into that echelon. And and it's funny too because it's like it's it's so unfair to hold it to that, right? Because we've talked about other games that we loved that didn't break into that. And they're not held against held against uh, held against for anything, right? Like nothing's held against it. Um, but it just seems like God of War is that title. It seems like God of War is that game that is that is trying earnestly with so much heart to eclipse into the highest of heights in the gaming industry of like memorable, heartfelt, gut punch hooks in you moments. And for me, seeing that it was striving for that and succeeding for so many others. But not doing that for me, maybe that was the disappointment. So maybe maybe it's not even fair to hold that against the game at all. But for me, I'm not disappointed in any way. One of the best games ever. I love it. Can't wait to play the sequel. And uh, yeah, I mean, a 10-10 is a fair score from people. But I think objectively, it's a 9 for me. 8.5 subjective. I loved it. That's that's it for me, Josh. Give me, give me all your thoughts, and then we can get out okay. of here. Okay. No, you're good. It was great to listen to. I think what you're talking about is a eureka moment. I think you yeah. look back to a lot of games we played before, you know, like landing on Halo. It was a good a good example, and that's that moment when you're like, "Whoa!" You know, you hit like some a transcend transcendental moment in gaming. Yeah. And I don't think God of War necessarily had that. And in your defense, I know you're not saying it needed to, yeah. but I think it didn't really necessarily have any of those moments. If it did, it was with the serpent. But you're already privy to that because of the reveal previously that they showed publicly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It could, so, that moment could be there for a younger person or just a different person. Exactly. But not and for I was us. going to say that this is where our discussions on objective versus subjective come into quite a lot because as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about Kotor and I'm thinking about Mass Effect. So yeah. when you guys play Mass Effect, most of you guys that was that was in a lot of ways your first experience playing a role playing game that let you have a party and you made decisions that impacted them, good or bad. You got to see them react to things you said. You got to see them either fall in love with you or completely hate you. I had that experience in 2003 with Knights of the Old Republic. So by the time I got to play Mass Effect 1, that novelty was completely gone. The shroud, the the, the newness, the eureka moment of that experience was completely gone. And what I had there was just what the game was, a futuristic sci-fi space opera. Yeah. So that's why, in a lot of ways, my experience was a lot different than most people who praise that game in the Mass Effect franchise as a whole. I had already gotten that experience and had that Eureka moment somewhere else. So like you're saying, you kind of had a lot of different Eureka moments elsewhere. Yep. By the time you got to God of War, that kind of sheen was gone. What was there was incredible. I look at the Mass Effect franchise and I think the same thing. It's got warts, just like any game. But... Uh, it's it's still amazing, but it's not quite what came before. And that's what happens when you're someone who's played games for a long time, whereas a lot of other people, I think, 
you know, like you said as well, someone like Joe who's a bit younger than us, that might be this game itself as a whole might have been a eureka moment in gaming because, you know, you've not played a lot that had that in there. So, I, I mean, I definitely understand that. I, and, and it's just it's just interesting because it's like something like that. It's like, objectively speaking, God of War, I, can, I think it deserves all the 10 out of 10s. But I kind of agree with you too. That was actually what put me off of playing it for a while. Initially, I didn't get it because of stuff that was going on in my life at the time. But... What really held me off from playing it sooner than just recently was that every time someone brought this game up, it was it's a masterpiece. 10 out of 10, unbelievable, perfection. Uh, this is a must-play experience. Anytime someone tells me, I highly recommend this, you need to watch this, you should check this out. It, well, if people are really like hammering that in, it puts me off of something. If it's just a friend that's just saying, hey man, you might like this, I'm like, okay, cool, I might check that out. But when you have such an influx of like 10 out of 10s coming in, masterpiece coming in, you know, benchmark title coming in. Everything you've heard about this game, it puts me off of it because I'm just like, well, I've, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to play it because I'm sure I'll probably agree with those people, but it's like a cultist hive mind. And I just, I just yeah. want to experience other things. Like I just, like I, I get tired of that because it's like, it, it's, it's what I like being a, in a room with Brian a lot of times in the past. It's just like, we can go all around the block with the game and talk about every bit of it and break it down as a whole. But for a lot of people, the moment you start for something like this, or let's say Elden Ring, or or I don't know, Red Dead Two, you know, any of, of the these wild. Sort of benchmark yeah. titles, Breath of the Wild, thank you. Any time with with certain people that you invite in a moment of criticism or something you didn't like, these people have a really hard time accepting it. A lot of people in our community are very open minded, thankfully, but you have a lot of people out there in the general public that are just like. You're stupid, you know, and they can't entertain that something is imperfect, you know. And uh, to me, it's it's more about imperfect perfection. I think a lot of people and I think also that's... use their words to try to take ownership of it too, right? Like if Absolutely. I commit to saying that this game is perfect and it's a benchmark and it's a ten ten, if I commit to this long enough, I will be the guy who loves God of War. I'm the guy who owns God of War. I am the God of War guy. You're not the God of well, War guy. I am. exactly. And it's like you don't love it as much. Exactly. It's like you said before, you know, everyone has a friend group and they're kind of known as a specific guy. Like in my group, I'm known as a Star Wars guy, you know, like everyone knows you as the Halo guy and stuff like that. So you have that type of stuff and people have that ownership. Sometimes it comes organically. Other people just they can't shut up and they have to just deep throat a game or a movie or something and stuff. But more specifically about this game, going back on it to summarize my thoughts, uh, I wanted to talk about. Can I interject real quick, Josh? Absolutely, man. Go ahead. I... This is so great because this is helping me to certain my, my feelings on things. And, and I, I have always pride, pride myself on being willing to admit when I'm wrong and change and be open to changing my mind. And I, I think I've had, uh, I think we've talked it through and I can really say I've, I've realized that I'm being, I'm definitely being really subjective about it. I, God of War is a 10, objectively. I, I, think, I think that's what I'm coming to. As we talk this out, that's the conclusion I'm coming to. God of War is a 10 out of 10, objectively. You know, my lower score, that's a subjective thing because what it, the game had, the game has all the had and did and, and has continued to have all the promise of being that eureka moment in gaming again for people mm-hmm. and going into it, expecting to get that. All I got out of it was a 10 out of 10 game, right? Like I went into it expecting my eureka moment and the only thing they gave me was damn near perfection, but you didn't give me eureka, right? It's like, it's like, what more do you want, right? And yeah. it's, just, it's just one of those things where it's like, you 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 can't ask for more. You wanted more because you wanted the Eureka moment, but 
it wasn't there for you. And that's what makes the moment so special is when you do play a game like that, it's just transcendent. And I think that mm-hmm. for God of War having literally every metric it needed to be transcendent, somehow it wasn't for me. And I think I'm a little envious for people who that it was that for them. But then again, you know, there's people out there like for me, you know, I can say Bloodborne is one of those moments and other people are like, I couldn't really get into it. It's like, you know, I'm sad for you in a sense, like not in a, not in a condescending way, but in a way like, <laughs> wow, yeah. this game is transcendent for me as one of the mm-hmm. best, one of the goats. And you just can't have that. Well, even though I'm what I'm getting out of God of War is a 10, 10 experience and something I'm going to replay over and over again. I mean, heck, that's that's all you could a developer could ever want from someone to get out of it. So I'm really getting anything I could ever need out of it. But I'm still not getting that eureka moment that others are getting. And like Josh said, when I've said before, we're really discerning this. Um, we've had those eureka moments many times in the past. This is going to be that eureka moment for so many other people. And uh, God of War is a 10. It's so freaking good. It's just wasn't the eureka for us. Josh, go into your summary. I'm done. No, you're good, man. I mean, I, I agree, though, too. I mean, it's... You know, it's you have that like well, the example I gave with Mass Effect. I mean, it just you know I already had that prior, and I think if you're old enough and you played enough games over time, those moments of eurekaness become less and less, and you get real concise, amazing, incredible experiences. But those moments where you're like, "Huh, I didn't know a game could do that," kind of happen less and less. Yeah. But you know, it just it's 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 because the industry has shifted, and you know, uh, I think a, a fair eureka moment objectively is just the success of the Battle Royale, which no one expected. Like, mm-hmm. Fortnite releasing with the Save the World content, and then it becomes known for its Battle Royale mode. That's more of, like, that is very much a Eureka moment in gaming, but it's not a re- Eureka moment in a game specifically. But I experience those less and less, so when a game does come out and it's incredible, um, I kind of sometimes do have the same reactions. I mean, objectively, I agree. It's a 10 out of 10. It does deserve it. I don't think that means it's perfect, but I think it does deserve it. But for me, subjectively, a 9 out of 10. Because I think they had real yeah. bad pacing issues with that grind fest. At I'm going to go. It with just it. felt so not subjective. Yeah. Okay. Well, I could agree with 8.5 as well. I'm not. I could agree because I was, I was you know, pretty peeved. For you and me, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think for you, it's Oblivion and Skyrim. I got my Eureka moment from Oblivion, not Skyrim. Now, I, I, oh yeah. Me, Skyrim's yeah. Skyrim's amazing. It's one of the best games I've ever played too. But Absolutely. It doesn't have the Eureka moment for me because I already got it from Oblivion. You know. No, that's where I was said, and precisely the same for me. I, I felt like when I played Oblivion. I mean, Morrowind, I got it a little bit prior. That's where I got that sensory overload. Where do I go? And, oh, God, I don't want to go too far to the left uh, because if I go there, then I'm not going to be able to see soon enough what's over on the right. How do I see everything on the map? Well, that's not the point of the game. If you go yeah. in with that mindset, you're playing the game wrong, you know, and there's a there's not a right way to play an Elder Scrolls game, but there is a wrong way to play it. And, you know, that's that's what it is. So when I played Oblivion, I just explored and did things so then when i played skyrim yes even though there were substantial improvements the combat was much more enjoyable and the enemies didn't scale to you and you know there were some different quests that might have been better maybe not but uh you know everything that's been discussed under the bus for like the past 10 years but um it was more the sense of this is like an amazing benchmark game but there is no iconic moment within this that I feel like is a eureka thing, you know. I mean, the high, the closest thing I had with Oblivion was just the core experience itself of like really deep diving into it. So, but uh, I have anyway, to mention this. I have to mention this because you you asked me this question, I couldn't think of an answer, and I thought of the answer Go ahead. a day or two after we got done on the podcast, and it's off topic a little bit, but it applies to what we're talking about too. Is you asked me, it was like two or three episodes ago, you asked me 
did you have a eureka moment where it all clicked for you in oblivion what was it and i told you i don't really know i think it was just you know it just yeah, i just got into it no i remember and i've actually i think i've told you in the past but it was probably like eight nine ten years ago um i was you know it was my fifth playthrough of oblivion i was trying to get into it and i had kept playing and playing i was having a good time i was i, I, I could i could say that i liked the game now and i beat the main story just the the main oblivion gate one and i wasn't done i was gonna go do side quests and stuff but as soon as I beat the main quest, I went to a bed to sleep and I woke up and I was a vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I mean, it, this wasn't like a I've looked at guides online and I knew this was coming. This was like, holy shit. It's because like, it's like you've contracted vampirism or whatever it says at the top. And mm-hmm. I'm like, holy shit, what? And I'm like, Craig, 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 what's, what's, what's happening? What, what's happening to my guy? He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you got vampirism. I'm like, oh, my. Can I get rid of it? And, Josh, and Creighton's like, you got to go on a quest. I'm like, I'm going on a quest across the world, Tamriel, to get rid of this vampire shit. And that was... You make me want to replay it. That was the moment of like, oh my, this game is so... like I just beat the main story, but my Mm -hmm. journey is just beginning. I'm a freaking vampire, bro. I gotta get rid of this Well said, Brian. So good. So that was, you know, I think, you know, and maybe you just disagree, Josh, but I I kept hearing you say like God War didn't have the Eureka moment. I think what we're more saying, maybe you don't agree, but like... I think what we're saying is the Eureka moments are probably there. Just they just weren't for us, you know. I mean, yes I, and no. I, like yeah. yes, but I would also say that the whole game itself is a Eureka moment in just terms of like yeah. a really well developed, polished title where it feels like yeah. so much is is just well done and well executed. It's just great execution uh, by yeah. the developer. I just think you, just the culmination of that experience, and you you appreciate that all the more when you watch the documentary. But yeah, you know, I'd probably say now that you got me thinking about it, the closest thing I'd say to a Eureka moment or experience for me in Oblivion was the Who Done It mission for the Dark. Oh Dark yeah, Dark, that's great. Where you have to go in and you have to one by one assassinate people in in this house, and, and there's people are confiding in you like, oh, what's happening? I hope it's not. Yeah, they're like, next. what's happening? I think it's I think it's such and such. Let's let's get, you stick know, together. Let's yeah, let's stick together. And then you, the whole time you're like, <laughs> you yeah, know, and you're me. watching all these people slowly descend into madness, knowing that you. Are the reason for that? Well done, Quest. And I'd never, never gotten to do and something I like think that people prior could to game. Take, but, like I know it sounds really full of it to say that people could take yeah. something we said as a lesson. That's the most full of a thing you could say. But I'm like the people who are trashing people on Halo all the time for loving Halo Four and saying Halo Four is the best. They, you could, those people absolutely got the Eureka moment from that game. That's why that game always gets talked about so much. People had the Eureka moment with Halo Four. All of us had experienced it in those Bungie days early on. You know, yeah. that come and gone for us. But well, Josh, you want uh, you have a final sentiment for God of War? Well, I do have just a couple more things to say. I'll try yeah, to summarize them pretty fast, though. But I will say I do agree with Joe's sentiment too on the game. I thought the finale was really well done. I really happen to love the sort of inverse of like you have father son, then you have mother son, and just fighting Boulder felt like this. It wasn't about the fight. It was about this guy who just was so, you know, in a lot of ways he mirrored like Atreus when Atreus was going through his little fit phase mm-hmm. in the game. And this guy was just so far gone, even though his mother wants to fix things, make things right, apologize. She's trying to do everything in the book, you know. And like you even think maybe it might, you happy. Yeah, you might there might be a turnaround somehow, but it's not enough. This guy is so far gone, he can't be brought back. And Kratos is just like, No, he's like, I'm not gonna let you kill your mother. That's stupid. Like I'm gonna kill you before you kill your mother because clearly like you're too far gone. You're like you're yeah. you're you're past the point of no return. And I thought so. The, the the fight itself, in a way, is like kind of unnecessary. Like I love that by that point in the story, he's just an obstacle, you know. Yeah. And it's I really agree. about and it's really when you, especially when you're again traveling with Mimir and you're learning just about 
Odin, Thor, his sons, just there's so much about that game and just about the Norse mythology that has to do with like families and everything. And you really see how that plays into that final act with look at where Kratos and Atreus have gotten to at this point and look at where these two are and her sorting her basically turning against you briefly to protect her son, even though he wants, he's, he very much is going to, you know, here soon, try to kill her. Um, or I think that happened prior, but she's still trying to protect it. Because that's her son, and so much so that she like zombifies Tear, the giant or whatever, to sort of like block you, stop you, hold you, do anything she can to like stop you from preventing killing him. Because now that he becomes mortal in the midst of that combat, he's like driven by that. That makes him all the more like want to keep going because now he feels that adrenaline and the pain and agony that he hasn't felt in so long. Whereas Kratos is just like, I have to put this guy down because he's mad. He's like a mad dog, you know, and it's just. A rabid dog, and it's it's sad. And then I think that part was cool where Atreus, as you get back on the boat to kind of sail back, that Atreus is like, we tried to save her life. Like, why did why did she just threaten us that she's gonna like bring down hell upon us and all yeah. this stuff? And Mimir's like, well, that's no matter what. At the end of the day, that's her son. She just needs time. But like, that's that was her son, you know. And yeah. she still she still loved him. And it's it's fucked up. But at the same time, it's like a that's just life and also B Norse mythology is pretty effed up. So, um, it was fascinating to see that character exploration. I mean, when you do prior see Balder talking to like ghosts basically, and he's interacting and you get to see like how she gifted him with like immortality basically and how that drove him mad. He hated it from the get go. I mean, it was fascinating, but I just wanted to say real quick, two things before I summarize, uh, the soundtrack in this game was phenomenal. Phenomenal. McCreary scored this game who also scored the rings of power, um, did a fantastic job, really gave this game its own identity. I just started listening to the audiobook, by the way, guys. I do recommend that. Um, I listened to that at work the other night, started it, and it's read by Alistair Duncan, who voices Mimir. So it's literally Mimir reading you the book, which is great. Um, which I'm sure most of you guys, if you've, you're listening to this and you love the game, you've already at least checked that out or knew about it. But uh, it's great. Um, so the score is fantastic, well-paced, uh, really makes you feel like God and man, you know, when you're having these epic, epic encounters. Um, and also just the combat. I happen to really love the combat. I loved throwing the axe, recalling it. You know, I thought that was just, it felt so satisfying to do. I also loved how that worked with like traps and stuff and levers, how you're having to time things. You know, you throw it yeah. in and it will free something in place. So then you have to rush through and underneath something or over something. Um, I really loved that. I loved upgrading it. Uh, the, the menu itself, when you're, you know, working with Brock and Sindri and, they're helping you out with stuff. Um, also, why does Brock sound like uh, Jack Nicholson? Like that kind of drove me nuts. But uh, <laughs> I understand the charm at the same time. But he was very like you can't tell me they didn't like. We want this little guy to be like a Jack Nicholson fucker, you know? Like it's totally a thing. But um, you look, like you just take a leprechaun, put Jack Nicholson's face over it. That's what you get. That's that's Brock. But the fact um, that those dwarves could canonically be where you are any time allowing you to buy stuff and, and, and upgrade and stuff was genius. Another another instance genius. of being perfect in this game. Yeah, it kind of drove me nuts like in a critical way, but at the same time I liked it because they did manage to... They, they, they try to explain it at least rather than just yeah. they're there. So, but um, I loved upgrading my weapons. I loved that um, it wasn't just cosmetic, but I also loved that there were cosmetic options. I love that you can upgrade um, Atreus's bow stuff. I happen to use his combat stuff a lot. Like if you beef yeah. up his skills, you upgrade his skills a lot. That dude is such a good support helpful. class, and I didn't know going into it that that was going to be that helpful at all. Like, I knew coming off of all, seeing all the 10s and everything that people were 
not going to there wasn't a conversation about how oh this character is annoying as a side character. I mean, that was clearly a development um uh, uh I guess issue that they wanted to tackle from the get-go with that game. They didn't want him to feel like that. And he does Yeah, I do think really, when, I, when they first revealed the game, I thought this this kid's going to probably be annoying. I'm not going to like him, but that was not the case for a moment. Definitely not at all. Like he's so helpful. Um I loved yeah, I just loved all of his bow stuff. He was, he was hopping up on people's heads sometimes, helping me out. Um and man, especially when you fight some tougher enemies, he's he's staggering them as I'm having them fire and stuff. But um, but I also just really happen to like you know when you get the chains and stuff, you get those back. And as someone who's not played the others, which I didn't mention that prior in this episode, I guess I realize now. But um, I happen to love the callback that it had. I love the way I, they explore you getting your chains. Dude, why did I not mention that as one of the best moments in the game? Because that's up there. It clearly. is up there. It is very well done. And I think it's, well I think it's worth mentioning, Josh, that the, the that even though you and I hadn't played God of War really much before this in a significant way, um, the the blades moment still resonated for, I feel, just about everyone because the blades were culturally significant to us as gamers. We we knew of Kratos and his blades for over a decade, so it, still, it was still resonant. I think, I think maybe if yeah. you've never played a game in your life or had any knowledge of gaming at all and you played this as your first game, maybe then it wouldn't work. But it really felt like they made the moment feel grand for literally anyone playing. The chains moment in the game is very pivotal because I feel like it's the moment where the developers are like, like up to that point, they're like, we've moved away from what you know God of War to be. Yeah. And that's the moment where they're like, but we we'll haven't forgotten back. where we came from. Yeah. And I thought that was very well executed. It also was great because that's the crowd pop moment of the game. Like that's yeah. the point. That, that that's might the be the where Eureka for a lot of people. It, it could be because that's for a lot of people. Like I would equate it to Captain America getting Thor's hammer, getting Mjolnir in Endgame, because you have that you you have this thing that you you remember yeah. from before in a previous experience, and then you see it kind of come back. Like I and want the crowd it to happen. pops when that happen. moment happens. And it happens, and then it happens, and you just go ballistic. You go nuts. So I loved how that worked. I loved getting to upgrade that tree. That was again something. Four years somehow I managed to dodge unintentionally. I didn't know you were going to get those. So that was great. I loved how those felt. The combat felt really tight. I've seen criticisms over repetition with enemies, and I understand that, but I also didn't mind at the same time. Um, I thought it was just very well concise. I loved getting to fight some of the taller enemies and how much like you can hop on top of a giant and you're sort of clubbing him around. And I also love just how brutal some of the death animations were when you're hitting like R3 and he's splitting these demons in half and stuff. Uh, it absolutely made me feel like a god. I never felt limited. I loved... I loved being Kratos in the sense that, like, it was hard for someone to ever get in up on me. Like, I, I, I kept, like, when I'm fighting Balder in the beginning and the end, I just wanted him so badly to say, like, like you might be, you know, like, invincible, but, like, there's no way, there's no scenario where you come out of this beating me because it's just not going to happen. And I, I, like, I wanted him to say that, but it was more executed in the actions of Kratos. So I loved that. You know, he's more developed than I am. But uh, yeah, uh, just phenomenally fun to play. Uh, very exciting to upgrade. Uh, all of that was balanced really well. I thought the rewards were great. The characters, the supporting cast was just very likable in their own ways. I mean, you have the arc where you have to go to, I think, Helheim. No, not Helheim. I can't remember now, but you go to this dark place where you have to get medicine for your son because Atreus is sick. And then that's when the witch is like, you get to see more and more. Maybe that is, yeah. But you get to see more and more how she, you know, the, the witch is very much like compassionate and loving and you learn more about her story. Plus the giant turtle. Like I like that, that more than the that serpent. The serpent's cool. I mean, serpents. When, that, when, I, when like, I first played the game and I'm like underneath his head 
and I'm yeah. looking up at him. I'm like, holy, holy that shit. That was awesome. I yeah. went nuts. I went Goo Goo Gaga for that. I love Turtles. Before I forget, Josh, cool. I want to, you touched on it. I, I do want to say the, the, the upgrading system and the skills and the armor and all that stuff was done so well. And I think we take for granted what it's like to have those systems done properly because mm-hmm. it just made the entire experience of upgrading my character and getting new gear a joy. Whereas I've played other games, and I don't mean to single this game out, it's just the first one that came to my head. Cyberpunk makes me not want to even use it. Like, I don't even want to use it. It's so archaic and, and it's just confusing. It's not fun for me. Like, I want I want to feel like I'm still playing the game when I upgrade skills and get armor. I don't want to feel like I just quit the game and, and got my skill sheet out. Like, I want to I feel like I'm They fun. have a very narrative way. I mean, it, I mean, even though Cyberpunk does have you going to fixers and stuff, but they they still have you. You're hearing dialogue and stuff with Brock and Sindri as you're going up to them and talking and stuff. So I it just feels very, it's fun. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. It, it even even Halo it, Infinite is kind of, it's just kind of bland. You know, the whole like upgrading your like gear and yeah. stuff. I mean, I feel like most people just grab the grapple hook and they're they're done. You know. Oh, once I upgraded that, I mean, I upgraded everything else just to do it, but I, I never but really switched it. much from the grapple shot. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was just fun to traverse around with. But um, no, I mean, that was great. I loved, you know, just how in combat, even if you like, you know, I I throw the axe into somebody, it locks them in, then I'm charging at them, I dive at them and throw my fist in there straight up Roman Reign style. And I'm like, I'm punching them in the face. Well, then maybe I get that icon. You know, they had the icons, a little like red indicators that someone might be right behind you or Sindri or not Sindri. I'm sorry. Mimir calls out like behind you. Behind yeah. you, brother, you know, and then suddenly you press down on the D-pad, boom, instantly turns Switches him around. around. You can see right yep. behind you. For someone that's, like, fast on reflexes, shoo, man. Yeah. Paul's going to love that. But uh, that that made it so rewarding because you just felt like you were just incredibly fast and powerful. Like, it, the game never took away the sense that I'm a god. And oh, it yeah. was just, it was cool to be like, hey, I'm a Greek god and I'm going to invade the, you know, North. I, I love seeing, like, up. Spartan Rage pop up on screen. I'm like, I'm about to use a Greek move in a Norse world. This is bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I loved that. It was like, you know, yeah, it was just great. Great touchdown in, in, in Norse town. So uh, I loved I loved the whole experience. The gameplay was fun. The story, the characters. Um, and just like Brian said, just to bring it full circle, amazing ending. They drop a twist right at the end that Atreus is actually, his other name was Loki. And you guys just walk back down the stairs that you came up on as the credits play. And when you go outside, this is what was great because I think a lot of people actually miss this. But when you go down the stairs, you pick up Mimir and Brock and Sindri, who were previously there holding him, are not there anymore. And you ask Mimir why. Mimir says because they were they had a big argument about the weather and then they took off. Well, if you go outside, like if you go back to Midgard you see that it's snowing and Mimir tells you briefly about Ragnarok being inevitable. And it just really like even amazing setup because even though at that point you pretty much get the whole like post game content of like, if you want to go, you know, here's the locations to the Valkyries. You don't have to just try to find them now. Here's where they are. Anything you want to finish up that you didn't or grind out for new game plus and stuff, you can do that. But it still has that little bit of an epilogue that felt so rewarding. And like, as I, someone who... a world now where I'm moving towards the sequel. Is what exactly. Exactly. As someone who just beat this a few days ago, and I, a few days later, or a few days from now, I get to play uh, the sequel. I mean, what a great setup. I mean, four year, four year wait for that would have been kind of tough. Not for me. <laughs> so right? that's one nice? of the benefits of the, one of the few times it was nice to, doing that. to 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 wait. Like when I got um, in, I when I got into Souls, I had like four or five games to play. Yeah, exactly. It was it was really rewarding. So amazing game. Uh, I I I do love it, and I see where everyone's coming from. And 
I don't quite hop on the circle jerk bandwagon. Like, no hate. I don't think anyone is like that in this community, but no hate to. I, I just don't like uh, cult love for games. Like, movies is one thing, but but games kind of drives me nuts sometimes. But um, but I do see where everyone's coming from, and I do understand and yes, the why. Is, Josh, any game you love, it's that cult. That cult following's there, right? Like that cult love. I mean, it's just like I mean, Halo has it. I mean, a Kotor might not well, have it's it just, today, it, but it used to. It all comes down to your interests. There's some games like Elder Scrolls. It was a benchmark experience. The hype, the execution, and the legacy all have been incredible and in successes. So, for me being excited for that game, that was great to be a part of that cult-like, you know, following. I guess for the mm-hmm. game. But, but then you weren't you know, a part of this. God of War, where I wasn't a fan of it prior, and then I'm kind of seeing it from the outside in. Um, it's harder for me to want to get into, and then I get into it after sort of that has worn off, and I'm like. Okay, I can actually see where people are coming from, but I had to sort of take down the, the sort of shield. Like you, of, same pride for you and like Elden Ring. It's like everywhere I go, people won't shut up about this damn game. I can't. Right, and I love that you and and Stephen Hawes love it, but it's like, but prior to that, I remember back in, Fe- when did it release? February? Is it February? February or March? February, March. Okay, but yeah. So when that was coming out, all the anticipation. Like I remember even during Summer Games Fest, I think the year prior, Jeff Keighley made a big point to like, here it is, finally the first gameplay for Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't give a shit. You know, like show me other games. Like I've heard of this game enough. Just release it. I like. I think it can getting- be annoying when the world's acting like you're about to see the most important thing ever, and you don't give a damn. You know. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I know like I'm in Call of Duty for me, like right now, Modern Warfare 2, everyone's talking about it. Like, this isn't me trying to be like to shit on people's parade. I actually do not care about Call of Duty at all. If the franchise didn't exist, it would have zero effect on me. I get nothing from that series. Yeah, so getting online and seeing like, oh, Call of Duty's campaign really, it had this moment, but it didn't have this moment. Or man, the match XP is really tough and the blah, 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 blah. I'm like, literally. Could not care less. I, I don't care about Call of Duty. Well, this is a great way to take us out because I am so tired of games like that because I'm so, like, they're super multiplayer focused. And yeah, Halo falls into that. Don't get me wrong. Amazing campaign, though. But I'm so tired. I feel like the last two years, and I know I'm factually wrong in a lot of ways, but the last two years, that's what it's felt like has really kept people going. But now with the release of Ragnarok coming out next week as of this recording, it feels like we're finally at the, the sort of beginning of the 2023 slate of games that are about to come out, like, so much. And it feels like it starts here with Ragnarok, because at the beginning of the year, it felt like things were looking super promising. You had Elden Ring, you had Horizon, you had so many other games. You knew, you know, eventually Last of Us is coming, the re, you know, the remake. Um, but then at the time, you think Starfield's coming, you think all these other games are coming, well, then the delays happen one by one, and the whole middle year into the end of this year starts seeming real dry and then the conversation switches to is raggy rock happening are we actually getting that game or is that going to fall into 2023 as well hit me up with the sound of you end up being disappointed by every release in 2023 brian i just i dude i don't i don't i don't know how to even podcast anymore man i did none of these games have been good they've all sucked they all have a multiplayer component you all have to be online to do it I do, I do. I don't care about all this post. I don't care about Redfall. Redfall ever game of the year for people. Are you kidding me? Four player co op. <laughs> I thought this game was going to come out and be a Twitch hit for like a month and then fall off. And everyone loves it. Are you kidding me? 
Okay, this is like Left 4 Dead 3, but it's not the one I wanted. I wanted Left 4 Dead 3. Are you kidding me? Starfield, buggier than hell. A Thousand Planets? That's all everyone talks about, Brian. No, you find, the out rest the Starfield, of the game? you find out that Starfield, by intention, has no story. Todd Howard's like, yeah, we just thought you'd enjoy exploring A Thousand Planets. Great, thanks. If I wanted that, I'd go play some PC game. That's ass on Steam. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, in all seriousness, I can't wait for Raggy Rock. It's exciting uh, because I feel like it's just the beginning of what's to come in 2023. It feels like the future starts now with the release of this game. I can't wait for it. I'm happy to be here for it. Like, I'm not sitting here like, like if you were to ask me, it'd, and I'm curious to know your thoughts after I answer this, Brian. Like, out of 10, how hyped am I? I'm probably at like an 8 for this game. Like, I'm not 10 out of 10 hyped because I, to be respectful to all you diehard fans, like, I'm not there. But at the same time, I had an amazing experience with this game. I see yep. how good it is, and I know to expect quality. I'm seeing the re- the reviews pour in, and I know that this is going to be an incredible experience. And after having such a dry year of releases, uh, I'm so grateful for that, and I can it, it be uh, excited for that. And I feel like between that and games I want to get to in my backlog, along with Halo's winter update coming out, I'm going to be good until we get until the early parts of next year when hopefully games like Jedi Survivor come out and stuff. So uh, very it's funny because I'm, you know, you said people know me as a Halo guy and there's a Halo podcast, but I have zero interest in the winter update. I'm not even going to turn the game on. No, I just play the game. Well, that's because in your defense, it's more it's multiplayer focused. You've never been someone who really particularly plays Forge. Yeah. And we both hate Forge Maps' inclusion in matchmaking playlists. That if are the fickle. cosmetics aren't good, which they've never been so yeah. far. So, so far. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, but, um, yeah. Yeah, for hype, for me, uh, that's interesting. Um, let me put it, here's how I'll compare it. So, influence, a very influential time in my life when Halo 3 came out and I was 15. Hype for Halo 3 was an 11 out of 10. And I, I know going over the scale limit kind of opens a can of worms, like, where does the, it end? But what I mean by that is, the hype was so far up my ass that I, I like I said, I, I, was, I thought I thought it would change my life forever. So that's that's the highest, right? Halo 3, 11 out of 10. Yeah. Then you have Halo Infinite, which is a game that I was more invested in following, following it. And it's a series that I'm more uh, attuned with. Halo Infinite, come launch time, I was probably 8, eight pushing a 9, excited. Mm-hmm. God of War, I'm probably a 7 pushing an 8. So, you know, it's, it's just, I could come around to that too, just because I think it's like, I'm really looking forward to it, but at the same time, I'm not going out of my mind every, like, yeah, the days aren't going slow for me. No, the days are passing by easy, but I know when we're coming, we're on God of War Ragnarok's Eve and I know it's on my PlayStation download. All I gotta do is wake up and start playing it. And guys, I requested five days off of work because I'm a loser and I have to play God of War. You're not a loser because you requested. No, I'm just kidding. It's not, I'm just kidding. I, I, I actually... I think if people are going to request off for shit like freaking sports games, then there's no reason why. If you can go watch freaking Buckeyes or whatever play in the freaking NFL, you can take off for a game. Anybody who thinks that they're superior for taking off a day of work, Buckeyes, can go watch. If you think watching football in person or fishing or hunting is more valuable in any way than someone taking off to play a video game, screw you because it's bullshit. And that's probably one of the most blunt things I'll ever say on here. It's just your hobby. It's just your passion. You're no more important because you have the best freaking tackle box in the world. I don't give two shits. Brian God says of that War because... is awesome. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Icon. <laughs> Brian says that because out of people who live in the Midwest, uh, that's 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 a, a big they I remember I worked I worked I used to work at a gun manufacturer and I took off for what game? Oh, I took off for the Xbox One console release. 
Mm-hmm. And people are like, you actually took work off for that? And then like a day later, they're taking five days off to go hunting. I'm like, are you shitting me? Unless, unless the only way your family eats tonight is that you go out and kill a deer. Don't give me shit about requesting off for a game. It's ridiculous You're just standard. You're going to have a, have a fun time. Yeah, You're sitting terrible. in a freaking tree freezing waiting I, I support your hobby it's absolutely worth taking time off for but don't tell me mine's any less get out of here ridiculous no, absolutely absolutely i have the day off it comes out so i mean i'm looking forward to playing that i have no plans so i'm just gonna play <laughs> One it that day? day not a true fan <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, brian that was really good though i really like that but no no, no. Oh, i will say this before we get out real quick man is that I, I I get I get that though why that shit's cool especially as an adult dude is because like think of how how much momentum you lose as an adult trying to play a new video game you know like even if you are someone that doesn't get too affected by FOMO you know people are passing you by there's already spoilers out there people who yeah. have beaten it oh, or yeah. about to beat it or want to talk about some crazy moment and you're missing out on that conversation you come home from work and you just slog through eight hours of your shift and maybe you try, and you sit there with the controller, and you're like, uh, you're looking like you just nutted, but you're actually yeah. just about to fall asleep because you're so exhausted, <laughs> you know? And, like, that's, and then what happens? You go to sleep. You don't get to play the game. And then, oh, you have to wait. Like, a lot of times, I've had to wait to get, my days off are split. I have to wait to get around to one of them just to have the energy to want to sit down and actually play something for more than, like, two hours. And then you're just you at know? work, and some guy's like, yeah, I can't believe Thor died by being impaled in the head. And you're like, you freaking... Are you well, shitting me? And that's me? why, to your guys' respect listening, that's why I know you guys enjoy stuff like this podcast, because when you're away from the games that you want to play and talk it gives about... you the feeling you, you can be there. Yeah. yeah, you get to sort of be there, so yeah. happy to record this one. I can't wait for Ragnarok. This is great, Raggy guys. Rock I, is coming, Brian, and they're all going to smile the whole time. Kratos, Atreus, I can't get it right. What'd you say, Brian? Uh, yeah, no grunts or anger at all in God of War. Guys, this is what's so cool is like... <laughs> We love Halo, and we're going to have some Halo episodes that are going to be bangers for sure. But, like, I knew when I sat down this morning, I only wanted to talk an hour because I got other stuff I want to do. But talking about God of War, it just stirred up the passion in us. And now we're coming in close to two hours. It was awesome. Thank you guys for listening Thank you guys. to episodes that aren't just about Halo because we're always going to be here to talk about Halo. It's our bread and butter. You will see Halo episodes plenty. But, man, talking about stuff like this, other stuff we're passionate about, it's so awesome. Josh and me came to this conclusion. You heard it here. We discussed it live. Uh, 10 out of 10 for this game. Objectively, it deserves all the praise. We love God of War 2018. We can't wait for Ragnarok. You will see an episode on Ragnarok, and it'll be late enough that you'll probably have already played it. And if you haven't, there'll be spoiler warnings. I, so looking forward I do to have it. to say real quick, I do think it's funny. Of like three years of doing this, and it was like the episodes were going to like an hour and then the moment we've done a lot of these different oddball type episodes. Back up to two, three. Back up to hour and a half, almost two hours. <laughs> yeah, man. Man, I, we got to do one on Spider-Man 28. It was 18? Oh, I yeah. can't wait. Spider-Man. Can't wait. Dude, Look forward to holy shit, what a banger of a year. God of War and Spider-Man, both from Sony, just in 2018. And then what other game we said it on? Yeah, Red pop- Dead Two, which even Red though that Dead wasn't 2, for man. you, is for a lot of people. Still though, yeah, that's that's a that's a. We need to break down some years. We need to take some we years need, and just talk to, okay, about it. Okay, like guys. 2007. Got, Honey, I need the day off. Me and Joshua podcast. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank, thank you, you so guys. much for coming here to listen to this episode of the Sacred Icon podcast. We hope you have played God of War and you loved it as much as we did. Uh, if hope you, you haven't, survive Raggy Rock. We can't recommend it enough. Let us know what you thought of this game. Let us know what your thoughts, spoiler free, are once you start playing Ragnarok. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this All episode right. of the Sacred Icon podcast. And as always, boy.
Nah, guys, just keep it sacred. <laughs> no. We do it together. Son. I love that episode, dude. Man, dude, I can't wait to hear that. Wow. Ah, uh, man. I'm I'm gonna listen to this episode back uh, immediately. Uh, <laughs> that was really good. good. Damn. Wow.